Welcome to Infused Church. Uh, you've seen me already here before on stage. Uh, my name is Ryan, and I'm an operations leader and a ministry student. Um, if it's your first time here, welcome. Uh, usually you'll see me on screen here and there, but I've joined the newly found, I guess we would call it the teaching team, uh, and every week we'll have this up showing who's, who's giving the message, um, and I know my wife's in that picture. It's not just me but I think it's, it's better that she's there. She draws the attention away from my baldness, I think. Um, but before I get into the message today, I just want to tell you a little bit about myself and my family. Um, this would be our wedding picture, um, and we are a blended family, and if you can't tell whose children are whose, I can help you out with that later. Um, but all teenagers, so woohoo. And the only one not pictured is my son, and he lives in Florida, and he is about to be 20 in September. So yeah, teenagers and then almost out of teenage years. So, <clears throat> you know, I, I believe I was being called to ministry for a long time, and if you guys aren't I don't know, if you're not used to the baseball analogies yet that, you know, Stephanie had talked about the last couple of weeks, I got a few more for you, and then hopefully that'll be it, no bad puns or anything. So, you know, in my mind, I wasn't ready to be called. I wasn't ready to step up to the plate. <laughs> Your silence is great there. So, you know, God was, God was calling me to the big leagues. Oh, yeah, the peanut gallery over there. But I was content sitting in the stands being a spectator. That's it, I promise. That, that's it. <laughs> um, you know, and after joining Infuse Church, a few months, well, maybe it was probably a few weeks, you know, we spoke to Taylor and we started serving. And I heard the call, and this time, this time I answered it, which is a great thing because it led me right into ministry. And I don't know, my uncle, my uncle's a pastor. He's been doing it for 20-something years now. He worked a full-time job for 15, 20 years, and he got the call. Uh, I think he's in his 60s now, but he's been preaching for 20-something years. And I think that's where I kind of got that first call was, you know, seeing my uncle preach and, and how he spread the message. And I think that's, it was in my heart. God was like, okay, well, that's what you're going to do. Well, I wasn't listening. So thankfully I did, because now as a ministry student, I'm learning preaching styles, uh, how to write sermons, which doesn't, it lasts a long time. I think this sermon, I wrote it in a couple days, but then Taylor and I went over it probably a half dozen times, all the way up to about 9.30 last night. I was, I was chatting with Taylor and of course, you know, he throws me a curveball, and oh, sorry. <laughs> sorry, there was one more in there. Um, <laughs> uh, so, <clears throat> you know, and, and with that, Taylor, and it's, I'm just so thankful to be part of a church like this that is creating a space for me to develop as a future church leader or pastor. And I want to thank all you here and everyone watching online, because that's what you're doing right now. You're supporting me in my journey. So, like I said, the last two weeks, you've heard from <clears throat> Pastor Stephanie, and she talked about home plate, which is being dependent on God. Um, and if we don't start there, we can't run the bases. So, um, there we go. <clears throat> if you can't hear online, I had an amen back there. Here we go. So, and then she, last week, she talked about first base, which was winning within. And again, if you don't start with God, you can't win within. And as I'm going to talk about today, second base, 
If you don't win within and you don't start with God, you're not going to win with others. Um, so in case you've missed the last couple weeks, we're, we're teaching our lessons from this book, uh, Kevin Myers and John Maxwell, and it's called Home Run, so hence all the baseball analogies. It's God's game plan to learn of life and leadership. It's a great book, and I think uh, our teaching team, we talked about this. Uh, it would be a great Bible study, four or six weeks just something to dig farther in the book. And, and I think we're going to try to make that available soon, I hope. We'll have to, have to run that one again with, with Taylor. But yeah, that's, that's why we had all the baseball analogies. And um, Pastor Stephanie told me last week that she, uh, she said she, she teed me up. But it, it was, I told her I wouldn't make fun of her. I'm not making fun of her, don't get me wrong. It could be T-ball. But it was kind of a golf reference. But she's like, did I tee you up for next week? I'm like, yes, yes, you did. Plenty of, plenty of uh, opportunities for puns. Um, let's see. So when we got together as a leadership team, we got to discuss the message and who was getting the, to teach what. And I was, I was excited at first. Of course, now I'm a little nervous. But, you know, talking about second base is people. And of course, the book calls it the community base, uh, but winning with others, with, with people. Um, and here in at Fuse, you know how we love to love on our community. Uh, the message I thought was going to be easy to talk about, but as I said before, well, people are difficult sometimes. It's not always easy dealing with people. Um, hey, got another amen. It's, that's a true one right there. Um, so if you, when you came in, there was a little sheet of paper, a little handout on your chair, um, and it has two sections there, three, three lines. Hopefully you have a pen. If not, I know there's a few back, back over there at the uh, swag table. Um, so Stephanie gave you guys homework, but I'm going to make you guys participate with me today. So bonus points for shouting out. I know the peanut gallery will help me out over there. <laughs> yeah, there we go. So what I want you to do is to write down two or three moments, I'll give you three lines, two or three moments in your life so far that, I don't know, that were the most joy in your life, that brought you the most happiness and meaning, um, but I know it's hard to narrow it down to two or three, so I know. Since I wrote this, I had time to do my, my list, and I have, I have some to give for you, but I want to give you a second, if you can write down a few. <clears throat> Sorry. Um, and don't, don't worry about the elephant on the paper right now. I'll explain that one later. So hopefully everybody has at least one or a few. I don't know how fast, how fast writers you guys are. So if you have some, answer me this. You don't have to shout this one out yet, but I guess you can answer it out loud. How many of these memories of you have, that you have on here involve people? Yeah. All of them. Well, that's good. That's good. Um, <clears throat> so most of, most of our memories involve people. So mine, mine definitely involve all, all people. Um, so the birth of my son, Dante, he was born September 23rd at 12.24 a.m. Uh, in 2003. So yeah, he'll be 20. 
My oldest daughter, Haley, was born March 26th, 2008, and she was born around 1123, C-section, so it was kind of on the dot when they were going to do that. Uh, and then my daughter, youngest daughter, Isabella, who was born 14 years ago today. So shout out, happy birthday, Bella. She is 14 today, and she was born around noon, C-section again. Um, and last, of course, but not least, was marrying my soulmate and my best friend, Melinda, November 26, 2022, around 5.30 in North, in North Georgia with family. My, my uncle actually married us, so that was even better. We had just family and, and, and some friends there. And so people, there's people everywhere in all of my memories. Is anybody, because this is where the participation is going to come in, who wants to give me one? Peanut gallery, I know I can get one from you. Amen. If you didn't hear on that one, she said her relationship with Jesus when she built it. Anybody else? I want some answers. Come on. Who's been married more than 30 years? <laughs> All right. How about 20 years? Oh, yeah, we got some there. Got a couple in the audience. Oh, it's hard to see. I'm blinded over here. 10 years. We got some 10 years in there. There we go. Five years. How about less than a year? Hi, honey. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah. So thank you if you shout it out. You don't have to be uh, afraid to shout out anymore. So we're kind of going to take a step away from the happy moments. I know. We're going to talk about moments that cause you the most pain. I know, not fun. Not fun to do it all. You can write them down. You don't have to shout any of these out. I'm not going to ask you to share. But I want you to think about it for just a second. I'm sure everybody has one that pops your mind. Unfortunately, sometimes moments that cause you pain hit you faster than you can think of ones that were happy. And hopefully we can change that. <clears throat> so exactly for this reason, let me guess. These moments that caused you pain and suffering involved people. I'm guessing. I think all mine involved people as well. So now there's, there's old sayings, and you can repeat with me once we get going, because I'm going to repeat myself a little. Leadership would be easy if it weren't for other people. Work would be easy if it weren't for other people. Family would be easy if it weren't for other people. And how about this last one? Life would be easy if it weren't for other people, right? So all those negative events that, that cause you pain and suffering, they aren't always a lesson from God, but God knows how to, how to mold you into a better person because, because of what you've gone through. Um, it, it, what we do with those lessons is, is important. So if we choose to ignore them, sweep them under the rug, they don't go away. So now the elephant comes into play. So we've all heard that saying, there's an elephant in the room. So if there was an elephant back there in the back of the church, it'd be a little hard to, to pay attention to me and ignore that elephant. So this is the safe way to get an elephant in church. So we're just going to stare at this elephant for a while, and he's going to stay in the room. So many people pretend that they don't have problems, and that there's, there's, you don't see it. There's no, there's no elephant here. 
we're fine. Everything's fine. But everyone has problems, especially in church. We're all imperfect people. But how we deal with these, these problems is, are we going to ignore that elephant? Or are we going we gonna to we're gonna try to change things? So this ties in here with me is, is problems with people are the main reason we can't win with people. Uh, how easy is it to resolve an issue, say, with someone with an anger problem? It, it's not. Anger drives a wedge between a relationship or anything, and you can't get that back once the wedge is there. So we can't just resolve a problem with a person with anger by ignoring it. Uh, when we sin, God loves us the same. He doesn't, he doesn't throw a temper tantrum. He doesn't turn his back on us. He actually loves us more because he knows what he can do with us. Um, so God wants us to start with him and be dependent on him, home plate. So we, we have to learn to start with God and be dependent on him, home plate, before we can even win within first base. So we must learn to run these bases in order, or we're not going to, if we're not dependent on God, home plate, if we don't win within first base, we're not getting to win with people or second base. Um, and we can't win with ourselves. How are we going to win with people when they're being difficult? You got to learn within before you can win with people. And this is why we run these bases. So I have two steps. I'm sure there's plenty more, but I have two steps to help us win with others. So step one would be admitting we're all imperfect people. Just like we love to say here that we're a church for imperfect people to explore faith and to find community. So if you, a Jesus follower, I think, I'm not going to put this one on the screen, but Romans 3.23 says, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. I think that says it all. We sin. We are a sin nature, and we fall short. So sin is missing the mark within. It's missing the mark with others, and it is missing the mark with God. So the last few bases kind of tie together. Sin kind of stops us from even starting at home plate. Once we can be dependent on God and, and get to that home plate, we won't have any other chance of going around the bases if we don't start there. Um, if we never come to terms with our imperfection, we struggle to win with others because we tend to think we're perfect and everyone else fails, you know, fails to be perfect. So it's, it's difficult to love and win with others when we have inaccurate expectations. So one of my many times I was talking to Taylor this week, he loved that term, inaccurate expectations. So he wanted me to emphasize that. So I've already said it twice, but I'm sure I'm going to say it a couple more times. Give me a sec. So you know with Taylor, if anybody's been here with a, a sermon with Taylor, repeating things is very important when you want to get a point across. So inaccurate expectations. There we go. Three times I got it out of the way. All right. So with having teenagers, which you, you saw three, four, five teenagers, 
we, we know, and we know from experience, teenagers are going to make mistakes. It, 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 yeah, I hear a yeah over here. <laughs> if anybody else has teenagers, we know they make mistakes. But guess what? We teach them and they learn from them. Now, if you pretend that your teenager is perfect, you are, you're in for a rude awakening, a, a big surprise. Uh, and if you have toddlers, which it's been a long time since I've had a toddler, but you wouldn't expect your toddler to put their dishes away or fold their laundry. You know, those are, that's unreasonable, or as Taylor would say, an inaccurate expectation of your toddler. I think, I think we all know what certain expectations are if we have infants, toddlers, middle schoolers, high schoolers, or even college-age kids that are still at home. We know where our expectations should be. I know we've all had unreasonable expectations, but the way to learn around that is uh, I think we're going to look at, we're gonna look at uh, 1 Samuel today uh, and the story of David and Goliath. So stop me if you've heard this one before. No, really don't. I've got a few things I want to say about David and Goliath. Now, it's going to be from verses 1 to 47, but don't fret. It's not every verse. I don't have enough time for that. But I have a few things that, you know, uh, how, it's going to show you how David handled imperfect people. And dealing with difficult people not only tests our faith in God, but it also puts our witness on display. Uh, one biblical figure who responded well was, in fact, David. And I have a few examples when there's, there's many more. So David triumphed over many offensive characters to become king of Israel. But David dealt with bullies. And not just a bully. He actually dealt with two at one time. And it's not what you, what you would expect. So before he had to face Goliath, this ginormous mountain of a man, Philistine warrior, he had to deal with his own brother. And if I get his name wrong, I'm going I'm to try. His Eliab. And his brother Eliab was his critic. He was a huge critic of him. And, and before he would have, was to battle Goliath, he said this in verse 28. Maybe. He says, why have you come down? And with whom have you left those few sheep in the wilderness? I know your insolence and the wickedness of your heart. For you have come down in order to see the battle. So basically his brother was calling him a chicken or a coward or, you know, he was clucking or whatever, whatever they did back then, you know, how to, to make fun of him. It's just harsh words. And so David... He knew, he knew what his brother was doing. He knew what his brother said was a lie, and he understood the imperfection of his brother. So he, he calmly turned his attention to the giant, rightfully so. Um, he didn't, now, he didn't turn his back on his brother. He wasn't ignoring his brother, but he wasn't going to be consumed by his brother's imperfections. Uh, he, you know, when it comes, comes to the saying, you know, you take things with a grain of salt, I think that's kind of where this might have come from, is he listened to his brother, he didn't let it eat away at him, and he concentrated on where he needed to be. Um, because you know, we don't ignore imperfect people like we do here. We would embrace imperfect people. We invite imperfect people. We don't just turn the other cheek to the, you know, we're all imperfect. So how can we even say we judge if we're all imperfect? 
So this kind of comes in where step two uh, comes into the middle of the story, and it's, step two is serving God and serving others. Now, putting others first makes winning relationships easier. I don't know why, you know, it would be any other way. A winning, winning relationship means putting that person first in marriage, in relationships with our children, obviously putting God first. Uh, so this is why David, he didn't walk away like some people do when, you know, when, they, when they're mean, you don't just turn around and go whatever and walk away. No, he did what honored God. He served his brother and he served his nation by facing Goliath. Even though his brother was, <laughs> let's just say, a pain, he, he still loved his brother and he did all these for not only God and his nation, and he did it for his brother. And, and you know, serving, serving others can be as simple as holding a door open for a stranger. I mean, it, it starts with that. I, can't, I can tell you this weekend, my in-laws came from Ackley or near Iowa Falls, about two hours, just to help me and Melinda with some household chores that have just kind of backed up for us. Like we had some stuff to do in the yard and some painting to do. And so they came, I mean, they probably had stuff they needed to do with their house, but they gave it their time and they came to see us and they came to see me on stage too. So not, not really nervous about that, but that's another one. So, and then a couple weeks ago, my dad and stepmom came up from North Georgia. So 13 hours one way and 14 hours back since you gained an hour coming here. So they came to help us install hardwood floors. Now, the funny story about that, Melinda would, we were on the phone with them because we tried to talk to them once or twice a week. And Melinda just happened to say, you should come help Ryan do the floor, you know, come teach him. You know, because, I mean, I probably could have figured it out, but my dad has done in two different houses. So 750 square feet, my dad could teach me, you know, in no time. So they called back a couple days and go, hey, what weekend works for you? We'll come up. Surprise, surprise. We didn't know they were going to do that. They had, they're retired, but they have busy lives. Uh, they're building a house right now. They, so they put their dogs in a kennel. They drove two days to come up. And I think when they left, they went all the way home one way. They didn't stop. But I know they probably could have had other plans, but they gave some of their time just to come help us. And we were joking about it. But they decided that hey, they needed help, we'll just go help them, why not? And it didn't hurt that they were retired. <laughs> so um, so back, to, back to Goliath, I know I digress there a little bit. So David saw through Goliath, Goliath was taunting him. He, you know, I, I can't imagine, but this is just me saying this, there's no record of this, but he's, he's probably calling him a puny little sheep herder. You brought a rock to a sword fight? What are you thinking? Well, David, David, I mean, I'd say he ignored it. He saw through those taunts. So David understood what it was to be a servant of God. And he said this to Goliath in verse 47. And that all this assembly may know that the Lord does not deliver by sword or by spear. For the battle is the Lord's and he will give you into our hands. And... I think if everybody knows this story, you know how it ends, but spoiler alert, David wins. Um, yeah, so he brought a rock to a sword fight, and he won. So no, 
now, don't get me wrong, we don't deal with all bullies by hitting them in the head with a rock. I'm not condoning that. <laughs> okay, now, we, we have to remember that our strength is not in ourselves, it, it's, but it's in a God that loves us, and he will give us what we need. So having a servant heart is, is the key, I think, for this one. If you have a servant's heart, it means not only putting others' needs ahead of your own, but to serve with also the right motivation. Now, David didn't kill Goliath to become king. That happened later on. He didn't have that motive. He had the motivation to serve his nation, serve his brother, serve God. That was his motivation. And to put, put God's will first. Right? That's, that's the ideal key for that. Now, for those of us who are Jesus followers, Christians, look how Jesus modeled that we should follow. He washed his disciples' feet. You know, he's the, supposedly the, 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 the king of everything, you know, the Messiah, and he washed his own disciples' feet. He did a few tasks like that, you know. He, he fed thousands who came to see him. He fed them. And he walked miles or kilometers, however they measured it back then, to heal the sick or to give sight to the blind. Um, but of course, we all know, and, and, and there was such a great choice of the songs this, this morning. That first song kind of talked about this. Jesus' supreme act of servanthood came when he died on the cross. And he, he gave his life for a ransom for all of us. So that is his supreme act of servanthood, servanthood not, not anything for us to do. He did it for us. He came before us. So David, David had a lot to deal with besides his brother and, and Goliath and sheep. He had King Saul, which if anybody's read any of those stories, that could be another two, three-part series just on King Saul and all the things that he put David through. And I hope I say this right. The Amalekites, that's a whole nother story. And I think everybody knows about Bathsheba. So <laughs> we got a giggle over there. Um, so this is just comes back to God loves to test us in many ways. Man, did he test David, I tell you. And I know there's much more stories in the series this could go on and on about God testing us and what we do with those tests. But all these stories, to me, they kind of help tie in the whole analogy, the, all, the, all the terms. There's no winning within, first base, or winning with others, second base, if we don't first start at home plate. So start with God, home plate, yep. And guess what? If you hit home run and you start with God, that means you get to end with God. That, that's the best part of playing this game of life. And in much like baseball itself, in life, when you get past second, now I'm not a statistics person, I'm more of a football, basketball kind of guy, I do know some about baseball, but the statistics and the odds go way up once you get around second of scoring. So once you are dependent on God, home plate, and then you're winning within first base, then you start also winning with people second base, your chances of getting home, scoring that home run with the results and going back to God increase dramatically. 
So you look back at David's life, when he was winning at all the other bases, the results were massive. I mean, he became king and led Israel at one of its strongest seasons in its entire existence. Now, I don't know if I thought of this or I remember seeing it somewhere, but it really, it really stuck with me, and I wanted these words to come up here. And these are just four little to-dos, I think, that play a huge part in being dependent on God, winning within, and winning with people. And it's, uh, I think it's very simple. Love God, we serve God, we love people, and we serve people. I don't have a lot of words for that. I have, I have been staring at this, and I think it speaks for itself. I don't know about you, but I think if anybody's seen this somewhere, tell me. I don't know. I, I, I hope I'm not the one that came up with this because I just, I just put these together, and it made a lot of sense. So if we love God, which basically is becoming dependent on God and loving him, you're at home plate. You're already up to bat. If you're serving God, you're winning within because God is with you. And if you're loving people, man, you're rounding a second there. You're almost there. And then if you're serving people, that's where the results come in and God honors you and blesses you. And you're basically on your way to home plate and be back with God if you do all these things. Now, I don't know how, how simple it sounds, but I think it was simple to, to write it. Um, so before we go into the week thinking about serving and loving, we, we have a video that I want you guys to hear Joe's story. Now, Joe is, he's on the operations team and he is the one who basically taught me when I joined serving in the operations team and then eventually, uh, became the leader of, but Joe has been here for, for quite a while. I couldn't give you an exact number, but I think he came when it was first at the school. Um, and you'll hear some of that in his story, but I want you to hear Joe's story about how serving others like Jesus helped him win within and also helped him win with others. So without any, any further ado, I kind of want to introduce that video for Joe. So I went to college in 2006 to 2010, and during that college experience, there was a lot of stuff that put my faith in Christianity in question. And so I opened the Bible and started looking really hard and just doing word studies. It really molded my way of what Christ is. And how he influences our life. With my faith background, I, I accepted Christ, and it was a relationship between me and him. I could just close the book, check that box, I'm good. engaged but we didn't have a pastor to marry us so that was my intention when we moved here is hey we need to find a church find a pastor and I think Caitlin kind of wanted to be a part of something be more of a community 
next door, our neighbors were there and they wore this shirt that had a square with a bunch of letters on it. Then Caitlin, asked, what is that? Oh, it's our church. We meet in the elementary school just down the road. You should come. Well, we see the signs, follow the signs the next week. You know, as any first time guest, you sit in the parking lot, you wait till 10.30. All right, it's time to go in. Sitting next to us was this girl. Evidently, it was her first time too. The girl who was sitting next to us when she first, her first time was the same time we first attended. She got up and shared her story and how she was sitting in the parking lot at 10.32. She sat out there and she was lost and needed her way and was looking for some sense of relief, help. She was looking for Jesus in her life. She talked about that first day she came in and how people welcomed her. No matter what she's done, where she was from, they just welcomed her, invited her to be a part of something greater, and showed love the way Jesus shows love. Ever since then, for me, looking back on why I serve, it's kind of because of her. We don't know where anyone is in their life in the parking lot outside of those doors. We want to be a place that welcomes all, no matter what. And if I can help create those environments and those safe places, that's where I'd like to serve. So what I do on a typical Sunday really kind of varies. It's more behind the scenes than anything. I really don't like to be up in front and this really is not my thing. Every Sunday, I make sure the signs are out. I want to make sure that if someone's going through something, they have a path to get here. Put out all the tarps, set up all the pipe and drape, and basically set up everything that you see here. I don't do it all alone. There's a lot of people that help out doing this. I want to help create an environment that is not a barrier for you to find God. It wasn't until I met Caitlin and also found Infused that I realized that God was perfect in his symbolism in which it wasn't just this way, it was this way. That he died on the cross for us he wanted to build a relationship with all of us. So going from just a me and God relationship and understanding him and how he works to a horizontal relationship of serving others and loving on others. God is with the relationships you build with others and how they open up to letting God in to show you that he exists. If you want to find God, Go that way.
So, <clears throat> yeah. Yes, It's not his thing. Um, so uh, when, when we started Infuse Church um, eight years ago, um, I don't think, it was, it was fairly simple. It was, hey, we want to create a space where people can come and explore faith and find community, right? And imperfect people can do that. Um, the thing I don't think, you know, we expected or I planned on uh, in this endeavor uh, was that other people would I don't know, jump in as, as they have and um, that we would learn over the years that some of the most, um, geez, Joe got me really there at the end. Uh, good job, Joe. <clears throat> uh, that one of the most incredible parts of this journey is other people stepping up, other people stepping in, um, and that we were going to become a church that helped send people out to make an impact in the world. And so in one hand, you can be a welcoming community, right? You can welcome people into your house, uh, but that you can also send them out. It's, it's kind of like raising children, right? Um, you hope you do a good job and that they go out into the world and, and do incredible things. And uh, it's kind of like Ryan talked about, like people are difficult. This is not an easy journey, um, but uh, when you go through that process of loving imperfect people and developing them and serving them, uh, they tend to do the same thing, which is an incredible thing. And so I want to thank Ryan. Uh, I want to thank Joe. And I want to thank Dang it. I want to thank all of you um, for um, being people who are inherently some, I think, some of the more humble people I know in this world um, to say, hey, we want to give space for people like Ryan uh, and like Joe. We want to create space uh, for people who are coming, who are hurting and imperfect. Um, and because when we win with others, um, that can create some incredible results. So thank you all for everything you do. Thank you for Ryan and Melinda for their faith and what they do. And uh, I want to just close out, be here. Um, I'm Taylor, by the way, if we haven't met. Um, <clears throat> to close out in prayer for Ryan, for Joe, and for our church. So, what? You good? <laughs> Helps when you rub my back. Yes, that's what it is. <laughs> okay, let's bow our heads in prayer. Heavenly Father, Lord, I thank you. Uh, I thank you for Ryan. I thank you for um, uh, uh, all those here at Infuse that are um, taking steps forward. It may be a step towards ministry. It may be a step towards serving. It may be a step towards giving. It may be a step towards learning about you, Lord, more. But we're taking steps. And sometimes they are the wrong steps. And sometimes we say and do things in the wrong way. Uh, but the good news is, you are so amazing at loving us, even in our imperfections. You are so amazing at serving us and loving us when we fail to serve and love others. And when we fail to serve and love you. But Lord, I am grateful because sometimes we certainly take steps in the wrong direction. But when we step forward, you step with us. And you kind of stand in a place that keeps us moving forward. We may step back, but you stand there letting us know where we could be and where we should be and where we can go. So Lord, I thank you 
for that. I thank you for this church community. I thank you for the many people who sacrifice and serve every week to make this community, this body of believers, come together and worship and be with one another and trust one another and love one another. Um, and I pray that you know, as we run the basis of life as a church, because every church has its own life cycle as well, we would continue to remain dependent on you. We would continue to learn what it means to win inside, to love you better, to love others better, to win with others. And in all of that, we can come together and celebrate the results, celebrate the results of a decision to start a church at a coffee shop that um, also uh, ends up where people um, can experience your love. People can serve by setting up simple things like pipe and drape, but also people can serve in big ways to grow your kingdom. And we are grateful for that. Lord, help us to be the church that together runs a home run life. Lord, we thank you. In your name we pray. Amen.